Let me read a couple of passages, first from the Old Testament and then from the New Testament, and uh, we'll, we'll do our best to take a look at what God has to say to us this morning. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure, but to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop, and with my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. And now from the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, since through the Lord's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. This is God's word this morning. Well, it's often the case, and you may be already feeling it, that right after the holidays you have the post-Christmas letdown. I don't know if you're already feeling that. Uh, I somewhat had that. Even last night after we were kind of cleaning up from all the parties we had, it can feel so deflating because you've spent at least a month preparing, kind of getting all the presents wrapped, you know, and ready, and then in an instant, they tear through them. And in an instant, you know, everybody eats all the food that you spent all that time shopping for, and then they're gone, and it's just kind of you left alone. Uh, In fact, it's actually a real thing. I mean, depression after the holidays is well documented. Uh, People can fall into not just little doldrums, but deep, deep depression. Uh, I want you to know, I don't think that's just a Christmas phenomenon, Uh, One way to describe it, I think, is we lose heart after so much excitement and so much adrenaline is going through us. We kind of lose our heart. That's what both of these passages that we read this morning are about. And it's saying it's not just a holiday problem. It's actually a pervasive problem throughout all of life, especially for those who are trying to follow Jesus. Now, you may be here, you may be watching in, and you might not consider yourself a Christian, or you may, not, you may be confused about what you believe, whether you believe in Jesus or not. Uh, I think everybody can relate to this. I mean, have you ever, for example, made a New Year's resolution that you didn't finish into next January? Anybody ever done that? It's very common. In fact, just about all the resolutions I've ever made. Uh, this coming up week uh, have always been broken by the time you get back around to the next New Year's. Um, Often, I mean, have you ever started something and made a promise to do something that you didn't keep? Because as you started to do it, you realized it was going to be too costly or too hard. 
Well, there's something, everybody can relate to that, but there's something about living, trying to live the Christian life, trying to follow Jesus that makes that even more pronounced because God has not picked for his children a path of rose petals. He hasn't picked for his children, you know, tip toe through the tulips. He has picked for his children narrow road, Jesus described, difficult road, Jesus said, um, many dangers, toils, and snares, the great hymn Amazing Grace says, right? That are in our path on the way between now and the final full kingdom come. And so it's always, a, there's, a, there's a cycle I find, at least I've found it in my own Christian life, a cycle of excitement and then losing heart. Feeling very, you know, pumped up and ready and on fire for the Lord and then all of a sudden, spiritual dryness, spiritual struggle. How do you navigate that? Uh, In both of these passages, two great men of the faith, uh, they weren't great because they were great in themselves, we'll see that, but they were great because they trusted God, David and Paul, are both talking about how they handled the great letdown, the letdowns that came into their lives. First, a little bit about David, and then I want to spend the rest of the time on Paul in in 2 Corinthians, but in, in 2 Samuel 22, David is writing basically a song there. And it says he wrote this song after God had delivered him from the hand of his enemies, including Saul. And if you know about David, he spent most of his young adult years running from Saul, who was trying to kill him. Saul was the king of Israel, and Saul was also his father-in-law. So the king, powerful, and his father-in-law, close, the same person was trying to kill him, chasing him all around. He had to hide in caves. He had to live in foreign cities. He couldn't be seen in public for years on end. Right, basically a quarantine that he had to live through for years because he couldn't go out. And yet, when God delivered him, what does he talk about? I mean, notice what it says there in 2 Samuel 22. Uh, he says, Lord, 20, verse 29, you are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his ways are perfect. His word is flawless. Here's my temptation. When I have an achievement, when I do something or or something good happens in my life, I want to sing a song about me. David decides he wants to sing a song about God. And that, I want to tell you, that is actually the reason why David was able to handle the doldrums in his walk with the Lord. The more credit we take to ourselves the harder it's going to be to endure when we don't feel like enduring. And I'll I'll try to explain that as we go today. The more credit we're willing to give to God, which is really what living in the light of the Christmas story is all about, giving all the credit to God who sent his son when we couldn't do anything for ourselves, he sent his son to do it for us. When you give the credit to God, that's going to give you a sense of endurance. Right? I mean, any time you believe, if it's going to be, it's up to me, you're running the risk of getting worn out and burnt out really quick. Isn't that right? On anything. But anytime you realize, no, it hasn't been me, it's been God. He lit up my life, David said. By his strength, I was able to climb walls and face armies. Not by my own strength. He was able to endure. Okay, now let's talk about Paul the rest of the time. Because there in 2 Corinthians 4, he says the same thing. We do not lose heart there in verse 1. Do you see it? We don't lose heart in our ministry. Why? Because it's through God's mercy that we've received it. 
It's not to my credit, it's to God's credit. And so, okay, I'm, I'm going to talk to you through three things. Three ways not to lose heart. Or three ways uh, to live in light of the Christmas story, even beyond Christmas. You ready? They're not printed in the bulletin, because again, this is, this is being written as it's being spoken. So you're going to have to just write it down, I guess. Um, not that Tim's outline was bad. I'm not saying that. It's just not my outline. And so I'm, I'm having to give you something that came to me this morning. So first... One way to not lose heart is to learn to live by mercy. Live by mercy. He says in verse 1, Therefore, since it's through God's mercy that we have this ministry, we don't lose heart. It's almost like Paul saying, If I thought I had this ministry because I was better than everybody else, then I would all the time be tempted to lose heart. The reason Paul's saying that is because in the city of Corinth, where he had done a lot of ministry, there had been some other Christian teachers who had come up behind him, and they had a completely different philosophy of ministry than Paul did. Paul's philosophy of ministry was God's strength in my weakness. That was Paul's basic way of doing things. I'm a weak man, and I'm, I'm not ashamed of it because God is strong in my weakness. But these guys who came after Paul, they were all about looking good as they did ministry. And sometimes, isn't that the case of ministers or of anybody? Really, if you're a Christian, you have a ministry from God. It might not be be a pastor, but you've got a ministry. And isn't it true that oftentimes Christians get slip into that mode, just like these other teachers, where when something great happens or some great achievement or I've got something to do that God has given me, in the back of my mind, I think that's because I earned it. God picked me because I'm qualified. Often people say, God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And I think that's exactly what Paul understands about himself. He says, I'm able to endure in my ministry because I'm not like these other guys who think that they are in ministry because they were better than everyone. And so they, they carry themselves you know, super arrogantly. They believe that the success or failure of their ministry depends on their skills and schemes. And so every time something goes wrong, they want to lose heart. But for me, I know that the only reason I have this ministry is God decided to show mercy to me. God decided, Paul says, to meet me on the road to Damascus when I was going against Jesus. And he showed me his son Jesus. He showed me Jesus. And he appointed me that day by mercy to go be an apostle to the Gentiles, to go out and spread the good news of the gospel. These other teachers have got it wrong because they're approaching ministry and the Christian life as if it depends on them. Here's, y'all, here's how to live in light of the Christmas story. Remember every day, as you live, you're living, every breath you draw, and especially the spiritual blessings you have, come by mercy. Isn't that the essence of the Christmas story? In the darkness of the world, God shined his light. In the poverty of the world, God brought his riches. In the death that covered the world like a sheet, God sent his son to enter death so that he could conquer it and pull the sheet off, the heavy sheet that laid over the top of every human heart and every human life. God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And he did it for us when we didn't deserve it. He did it for us at the precise moment when we had set ourselves up as God's enemies. The moment we forget that, 
is the moment we start to lose touch with the good news of the gospel. And it's the moment we're signing basically our, we're signing our death warrant for giving up as Christians. Do you remember that every blessing you have is a gift of grace? Do you remember that? The physical blessings, the spiritual blessings, all the blessings. Whatever ministry God has given you, whatever ministry he's given me, it's not because I was better than you or you're better than me or we're, you know, we're better than everybody else out there. It's because God is so, so merciful and gracious to his enemies. In verse 2, Paul says kind of how he walks as if he lives by mercy And he says, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, we simply set forth the truth plainly in front of everybody's conscience in the sight of God. So he's he's showing as a, basically he's a pastor, showing how he does his pastoral work under the mercy of God. And not all of us are pastors, but all of us can relate. These other pastors, because they thought it was because of their own goodness, they began, when everything started to go wrong, when people weren't listening to them, they started trying all the different ways to make the message better. They improved the gospel by, to attract more people, or they, you know, they, they improved their ministry style in order to attract more people. Paul says those are shameful strategies. Why would you do that when the gospel's about Jesus? Do you think you can improve on Jesus? Right, And so to live by the mercy of God is to every day recognize that God's way is always better than your way. Even though God's way is always his strength and your weakness. You think it would be better if you had strength. Like displays of strength. I think it would be better all the time, you know, if I, if I had something to boast in on my own. That, that feels better. But Paul's saying, no, if you remember everything is by God's mercy, then you're comfortable with living with your weakness because you know that God's strength can shine most brightly there. All right, that's the first thing. You've got to learn to live by mercy if you're going to live in light of Jesus' birth and not lose heart. The second thing, you can write this one down too if you'd like, is you've got to remember the human condition apart from God. You've got to remember the human condition apart from God. Here's what it seems like was happening. The teachers who came after Paul noticed something that all pastors and all Christians have always noticed from the beginning of time. We speak the Word of God, and, and it's the Word of God, and as, as David says, it's perfect, it's flawless, it's a light in the darkness, and yet when we speak it, half people don't believe it. Maybe even more than half the people don't believe it. In fact, some people, when they hear it, think it's the biggest hogwash they've ever heard in their lives. Well, these teachers thought, well, man, if I, well, if I just spoke it better, maybe they, would, maybe they would believe it. Paul says no. That's not, I mean, the reason why some people believe or don't believe is not because the preacher spoke it better or the Christian lived it better. The reason for unbelief is because of the natural human condition which is set on opposition to God. Look at what he says there in verse 3. And this is not a pleasant thought, but look at what it says. If our gospel is veiled, if, if there are people who don't get it, who don't see it, who don't want it, who don't love it, 
It's because they're perishing. The natural state of human beings apart from God is perishing. Why perishing? Because we were made for God. Have your kids, have you ever rented a bounce house for your kids in the past or your grandkids or whatever? A bounce house is only good if it's hooked up to the fan, right? If it's not connected to the fan, what is a bounce house? The flat tent, yeah, a flat tent, you know, a you know, basically a dirty piece of vinyl. <laughs> when it's hooked to the the fan, it's just a dirty bounce house <laughs> with with germs everywhere, right? It's funny when you think about bounce houses. <clears throat> Isn't it amazing? When it's disconnected from its source, it's not what it's supposed to be. It's flat. It's deflated. Human beings were created to be connected to God. When we sin against God, when we have a, a heart that just doesn't really care about God or is indifferent to God, basically what we're doing is we're disconnecting ourselves from the only source of life there is. We're choosing to deflate our own lives. That's what Paul means by they're perishing. And because they're perishing, the gospel is veiled to them. When someone you trust tells you something, you believe it. When someone you don't trust tells you something, you don't believe it. When someone doesn't trust God, the gospel sounds like hogwash. When someone's heart has been changed, we'll see in a minute how that happens, someone's heart has been changed to trust God, then the gospel all of a sudden sounds like the best thing they've ever heard. But Paul is saying, look, you've got to remember the human condition. I, he's saying, I know as an apostle and as a pastor that when I speak God's word, People might oppose it, but that doesn't mean that I'm not saying it right. It just means that all of us by nature are just like I was before I met Jesus. A deflated balloon, a flat tent that was meant to be filled with God's wisdom, God's truth, God's spirit, God's love. Part of believing in the Christmas message is remembering that people, this is hard, but people are not basically good. And when I say people, that means you too. You're not basically good. You say, well, that's very offensive. Yeah, it is. But is it true or is it untrue? That's the question you should be asking. It doesn't really matter whether it's offensive or not. The real question is, is it true or not? It either is or it isn't. Um, I think we've lived enough history behind us in this world to have plenty of evidence that folks like us aren't basically good. When you squeeze human beings, what comes out naturally? Good things or bad things? Bad things. We thought, you know, in the 1800s when all the, this technology was blooming, we thought, man, we're going to enter into the golden age where every, every, it's going to be like a glory age. How's that gone? How's that gone? I think that the world since then has been worse. That just gave us more ways to kill each other, the technology. More ways to snub each other and insult each other and hate each other and all, and, you know, and all that. More ways to oppose God. Paul says, look, there is some power at work in this world that's evil. 
And that power has found its place in the human heart. In verse 4, he says it's the God of this age. And notice that the word God there has a lowercase g. It's not talking about the one true God. I think he's actually talking about Satan there, the devil, who has, even though he's not truly a God, he nevertheless has significant influence in the world, so much so that you could call him the God of this age. Jesus, in fact, calls him that. You know, Jesus says you know, Satan has power, real power, to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's what he's done. He's found a way into the hearts and minds of, of people like me and you. And the number one thing Satan is trying to do is not to get people's heads to twist around and levitate and all that kind of stuff that you see in exorcist movies. The number one thing Satan's trying to do is to get you not to see the beauty of the grace of God and his son Jesus. To get you to ignore Christmas. That's, the, that's what he's working overtime to try to do. And so Paul says, I know I have the ministry by the mercy of God. I know every day, everything in my life is by mercy. And secondly, I understand the human condition, and I, and I won't let myself forget it. I will not let myself forget where I came from. Once I was an enemy of God. Once I was headed for hell, headed for judgment. And Jesus came and intercepted me and turned my life around. And so that leads to the third and last thing. You might want to write this one down too. The last thing we need in order to live by the Christmas story and not lose heart is to marvel at the miracle of being a Christian. To marvel at the miracle of being a Christian. If what Paul says there is really true about human beings, if the God of this age has blinded our minds without, apart from God, if we can't see the light of God's glory in Jesus because we're so stubborn against God, then how in the world is anyone a Christian? And I want you to hear this this morning. I do not believe I'm a Christian because I'm better than someone who's not. And you shouldn't either if you're a Christian. You're not a Christian because you're better, you're more smart, more humble, more whatever. It's not any of those reasons. Why are you a Christian? Look at what Paul says. What we preach is not ourselves, and our goodness, but Jesus Christ is Lord. And ourselves, what are we? We're just servants for the sake of Jesus. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in Jesus Christ. Someone becomes a Christian by being a new creation of God's power. It's the only way comes by mercy, and it comes solely by the power of God. Just like David said, you are my lamp, Lord. You light up my darkness. You're the only one that can. And so Paul compares it actually to the first creation. Uh, there in verse 6, that's a quote from Genesis chapter 1. God said that on the first day of creation, let there be light, and a world full of darkness became light again. In the verse right before that in Genesis 1, it said that the earth was formless and empty, but the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And then he said, let there be light. So the hovering Spirit, the Word of God saying, let there be light, and then boom, creation began to take shape. And here it says, when you become a Christian, the same thing happens in a spiritual way in your heart. Your life that's formless and empty apart from God, the Spirit of God hovers over that. 
your, light that's, your life that's dark apart from Jesus, God says, over, the, over, over your life and mine, let there be light. And suddenly, the gospel begins to seem not like hogwash, but the only hope that we have in all the world. Isn't that cool? Isn't that more than cool? Isn't that amazing? That every Christian is a miracle of God's grace. Being, being a Christian is not about you saying, hey, I want to live better. I really know I've got to buckle down and really live better. Let me try really hard to live better. Listen, there are plenty of people doing that who aren't Christian. I mean, that's basically Buddhism. It's, it's, it's no different than Islam. It's no different than any other religion in the world to just say, hey, here's my religion. I'm going to do better so that God will love me. The Christian distinctive, the thing about the Christmas story that's so amazing is that it says God, in order to save people like us, had to come and recreate the world he made in the first place. And so the Holy Spirit overshadowed, hovered over Mary. And the new creation began when Jesus was conceived in her womb. On the cross, when all the lights of the world went dark, God's light shined out. The mercy of God to die for his enemies shined out. So that that same spirit and that same light could shine in us as we hear the gospel message and believe. We do not lose heart, Paul says. David says not, hey, look at me, I defeated Saul. Look how great I am. Both of these men said, hey, I know at the end of the day, it's all God. His mercy saved me, and I live every day by mercy. I know how I am apart from God, and, I, and I'm going to keep knowing that. I'm not going to forget from whence I came. And I'm not going to forget where you came from either. And the condition that we're all in. And how we need the most massive miracle to happen in our hearts if we're to know God. If we're to, if we're to ever enter the kingdom of heaven. We need to be born again. Recreated. Think about those things this morning. Let's pray together.